Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello, my name is Adam Smith. Welcome to the first of our podcast recordings from the NHR Dementia Researcher website on location from the Alzheimer's Association International Conference in Chicago. This is the first podcast I've hosted and the first one we've ever done remotely, so you'll have to... uh, account for the fact that there might be a few mistakes along the way but hopefully it's still interesting for you anyway. This week we'll be uh, recording podcasts at the end of each day reflecting on what we've discovered at the AIC and sharing for those early career researchers who haven't been able to get out here to Chicago. Today I'm joined by a fantastic panel who have all kindly skipped the last session of the day of the conference to talk with us. Uh, firstly, I've got Dr. Eva Kelly, who works as a research communications officer at the Alzheimer's Society. Hi, Eva. Hello. Uh, next, I've got Dr. Jack Rivers Orty, who's a research fellow at the University of Manchester, working in neuroinflammation, I believe. Yep, good day. Hi, Jack. And finally, I've got Rima Cardle, who's a PhD student at the University of Newcastle, uh, Newcastle working on gait analysis and wearable technologies. Hello. Okay, so before we get stuck into discussion about the conference, I'm just going to go around our panellists and get to know you all a little bit better. Um, So Aoife, maybe you could go first in just telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, I should have made you practice the pronunciation of my surname as well. (laughs) Did I say that wrong as well? Kylie. Kylie, not Kelly. Well, there we go. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Um, So yeah, I'm Research Communications Officer for Alzheimer's Society. Um, So I've been working there for about 10 months now and I'm at um, AIC to basically um, get information on the biggest news stories that are coming out of the conference and meet our researchers and spread the good news about Alzheimer's Society and the work we're doing. Fantastic and it's really important as well and I know that the membership's keen to. Let's go back to that. So Ree, sorry, how... (laughs) Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, hi, so again, my name is Rena McArdle. Um, I'm a final year PhD student who's a psychologist by background. I'm working in the Brain and Movement Research Group, which is led by Professor Lynn Rochester in Newcastle University. And I'm an Alzheimer's um, Society funded researcher. So I'm at AIC to present the results of my PhD because I'm writing it up at the moment. So it's pretty much the, like the breaking research from my uh, PhD. And I'm here to also try to find out um, more about wearables and um, technology usage in dementia. Thank you. And that was because there was, of course, we're not going to talk about it today, but yesterday there was a pre-conference day looking at technology in dementia. And yeah. Um, maybe we can look at that in a future one. Or maybe you could write a blog for us on what you learned from that day. Not that I'm pinning you down or putting you on the spot right now. So uh, finally, uh, Jack, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm never sure how much detail you want. Um, uh, I'm a Kiwi. Uh, I was born in 1986. I like long walks uh, <laughs> along the beach, but I'm married. Sorry. And... Um, uh, I'm a research fellow at the University of Manchester. I research neuroinflammation and Alzheimer's disease. So, but like how when your ankle, when you roll your ankle playing football, it swells up. We, we think something similar is going on in the brain, and that's contributing to the disease. 
Um, I'm recently transitioning into epidemiology, which is like the study of population statistics to see if we can pick out inflammation signals in uh, population statistics. So I've been going to some great sessions today, all about epidemiology, and all the many posters today were about epidemiology. So I'm here to sort of acquire new skills and make collaborations and stuff. Fantastic. And just, sorry, did you say this is your first AIC as well? Yep, this is my first AIC. Excellent. So we'll look forward to hearing what you made of the opening ceremony in a little mm, bit because yeah, that's, that's an, always an experience for everybody so before we uh, get into that today uh, jack and uh, re i know you're also presenting uh, jack later on in the week and re you presented yesterday and tomorrow yesterday today, today and tomorrow fantastic so tomorrow. would you like to just <laughs> get a quick plug in for your poster presentation tell us what were you presenting on uh, so today i was presenting on looking at gait analysis in laboratory conditions across different dementia subtypes and seeing if different dementia subtypes alzheimer's disease and lewy body disease have unique patterns of gait impairment that can help aid differential diagnosis um, tomorrow and yesterday at the technology conference i'll be presenting on how we can monitor gait inside the home environments over a week continuously so we do that using wearable technology and from that we can derive information both about activity um, which is like for example how long a person is walking um, and how many walking bouts they take per day and also gait patterns like how fast someone walks or how much they change their footsteps as they're walking um, and from that we're trying to understand as much as we can about Alzheimer's disease and Lewy body disease and how wearable technology could be a useful clinical tool in the future. That's really interesting. And are you the only person at your university that's working on that topic? Um, others? It's beginning to surge with dementia. So I'm one of the first researchers in my lab group that's working with wearable technology in dementia. But there was a pilot study done to assess the feasibility of using it in dementia just prior to me um, coming into the field. Um, and now we're about to start another um, big project well it's an ongoing um, multi-center project in the UK and we are leading the wearables piece of that which is looking at um, using wearable technology to see if there's gait patterns in people before they go on to develop dementia so prodromal um, stages of the disease. Fantastic and I, have you tweeted a poster of your uh, uh, no have you tweeted a picture of your poster? Um, I probably have yeah <laughs> great so what's your twitter name so if, if people yeah, people could have a look at your twitter feed and see that uh it's rena mccardle which is r-i-o-n-a-m-c-a-r-d-l-e fantastic so um i think i strongly encourage i know i saw rena's uh, presentation yesterday at the technology and dimension day and i'd strongly encourage anybody to have a look up on twitter and, and take a look at that poster can i just ask uh, did you get any pilot data about differences in walk walking patterns when you did the when they did the original sort of for the feasibility study and yeah. um, the feasibility study only looked at alzheimer's disease so mm. that we didn't have any controls in this study oh, unfortunately right. um from my own research we are seeing um clear patterns of gait impairment between dementia and controls and mm. also between Lewy body disease and Alzheimer's disease mm. when you look at it in the lab and at the moment I'm trying to see if we're seeing similar patterns in home environments. Mm. Cool. And of course uh, society are funding this research yeah. as yep. well. Alzheimer's so we've got society funded research. <laughs> <Excellent. Center. Yeah. laughs> and so, so do you obviously really encourage people to disseminate those findings too so this is did you present this back to the conference the Alzheimer's Society conference earlier already or? yeah I've presented the free living stuff um, this year at the Alzheimer's Society conference and last year I was part of a hosted workshop um, talking about differential diagnosis and I talked about the lab based stuff at that 
um, and I'm also quite involved in dissemination generally throughout the public. That's engagement. fantastic. Uh, yeah, I know. Society, I, I, I believe she's won awards for her <laughs> science communication. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I saw that. You yeah. did. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Jack. You're obviously presenting. Uh, you're presenting on tu- Tuesday, Tuesday, one p.m. So why don't you uh, give us a talk us through what what are you presenting? Okay, so um, in in cells. Uh, we screened a bunch of existing drugs, so drugs off patent that no drug company would investigate because they can't make any money because um, they've been around since the 70s, to see if they inhibit a specific kind of inflammation that we think is involved in Alzheimer's disease. And this inflammation is triggered by particles, so we know that um, this, uh, this kind of inflammation is triggered, say, for example, during gout because of the uric acid crystal particles that are in there and also triggered during atherosclerotic plaques Um, in your blood vessels. It's also triggered during asbestos in your lungs. And we've um, recently found that it's also triggered in Alzheimer's disease by the plaques, which are acting like a particle in your brain, and they're inducing this inflammation. So we've shown in cells that some common drugs that people use every day inhibits the specific kind of inflammation. Um, and then we took our best one of those, which was called mephanamic acid, and we moved that to, um, it's just a common pain relieving drug, and we moved that to an animal model of Alzheimer's disease, and we showed that it um, significantly improved memory performance in the mouse model of Alzheimer's disease, and it completely calmed the brain down. We saw no inflammation in the brain of brains of these mice. So today I'm presenting on the next step of that research where I took public data which um, tracked Alzheimer's disease progression. Because these are existing drugs, people are already taking it. So um, I built statistical models to model the um, cognitive decline of these people um, and checked whether it was slower in the people that happened to be taking drugs that I knew inhibited this kind of inflammation. And what we saw was significant, uh, a significant slower progression in people that just happened to be taking these, um, sl- uh, these drugs that reduce this kind of inflammation, which was really strong evidence. So hopefully we can build up a case to get a clinical trial funded. Um, it will have to be funded by the government because um, obviously there's no money to be made on a drug that already exists. And relicense, of course, you, I mean, we've seen studies like the radar study. Is the radar study from Bath with Pat Keogh? That's repurposing. Isn't that one repurposing an existing medication as well, yeah. I think? Yeah, that's angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitor. Um, and Pat Kehoe actually, he really helped me with the uh, epidemiology of this study. So we saw what Pat Kehoe's done um, out of Bristol and we're trying to copy that because that's how he got his drugs into clinical trial. Yeah. And they're in stage two clinical trial right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, well, obviously, fantastic, really interesting work as well mm. and fantastic to see because we know that there's so much opportunity for repurposing mm. other drugs as well. If only we had the the wherewithal to, to go away and look at these. So th- mm. thank you very much again, Jack. That sounds really exciting. I'll make sure I come along to your presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on then, let's, uh, let's talk about day one here at the conference. So there's already been so much going on. Um, I suppose the first thing to talk about was the big welcoming ceremony right at the start on the first plenary, which we had the Chicago Boys Acrobatic Group. Mm. Have they been on X Factor or something as yeah. well? I saw America's Got Talent, I think. Yeah. yeah. Because there was a big intro at the start, wasn't mm. there? There was lots of making noise. So, so that was an exciting kicking off start. So what, what, did, you, what did you make of that? Well, as it, this is also my first AIC, and I'm used to quite serious like academic conferences so even walking into the ballroom where this 
plenary talk was going to be. I was expecting, you know, a massive auditorium and then, you know, a professor steps up to a podium and delivers a presentation in a monotone for maybe an hour. Um, but instead here you, you walk into the ballroom and there is uh, flashing lights and they're playing every song from the band Chicago that they possibly could. <laughs> and it builds up to, like you said, suddenly this video comes on about the Chicago boys and I, I honestly thought they'd made some mistake or it was just some like <laughs> ads to fill the time and stuff about Chicago. Um, but I would say it was, it was quite surprising but also very, very American. Yeah. <laughs> A good introduction uh, to Chicago. Um, quite unusual, quite different from, I think... It's, it was quite upbeat, wasn't it? I mean, I think we were called upon to make some noise at several times, and I was tempted. <laughs> I did start clapping when he said, come on, clap. Oh, I did I start, clapping. but I was the only one. I looked around me, and I was the only oh, one clapping. Oh, in my section we were So clapping. I really quickly, you know, put your hands down like you do. What about you guys? Did you... Um, I'd like to plead the fifth on answering that question. Uh, I don't want to incriminate myself. Um, <laughs> oh, come on. on. It was a beat. It was uplifting as a great star. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. it, was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. In London, they had a marching band last year, didn't they? It was, oh, uh, really? I yeah, was Yeah, they had bare, bare skin hats. And oh, yeah. I don't think they were actually the army, or they might have been, you know, retired soldiers oh, that yeah. had a soldier band. So that was quite... Uh, what about you, Fee? Um, I thought that I walked in accidentally to a fitness conference. Yes, you did just say my name wrong. <laughs> You're not Fee. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought I walked into a fitness conference or that we were going to be doing like aerobics and I was like, I've got yeah. a sprained knee, I can't get involved in this. But uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely very interesting. Um, it has not helped me sell the fact that I'm not on holidays. Yeah. Um, my yeah. family, who now firmly believe that I'm not doing any work at this yeah. moment. Yeah. When I, I was tweeting pictures instantly going, kind of, people think you're just having fun now. Particularly <laughs> after tonight, of course, because um, I should say this is like five o'clock in Chicago now, and as soon as we get finished with this podcast, we're all going to be heading off to the Navy Pier for the welcome evening as well, where there's more entertainment again. Okay, so more serious things then. So immediately after that, we had the talk from Leonard uh, Mookie uh, from the Gladstone Institute on aberrant uh, network activity in Alzheimer's disease and preclinical investigation to clinical trials. That's a bit of a mouthful. Um, so, I mean, I found this one quite interesting, but I'm not an expert in that field, so I wasn't quite sure what to make of that. What, what about you, uh, Aoife? What, how did you... Oh, I find this really fascinating and it for me it was a typical plenary talk from an expert in their field that they're um, they've so much information to share in such a short amount of time so you're frantically writing notes um, so he was telling us basically that there are far more incidents of um, kind of epileptic like seizures in dementia than have been reported and that then people are aware of and that it's kind of an under researched area of the condition um, which I, I think is fascinating to hear about. And he was telling us, I thought, uh, like uh, Jack man mentioned before we started, that it was quite nice that he gave a lot of context mm -hmm. to the field as well. So he wasn't just talking about his own research, he was talking broadly mm -hmm. about um, the area of research. And he, and he didn't try to pack every slide with a whole bunch of data, which is yeah. what sometimes these plenaries do, just to really show him. He really just told a really clear story about 
uh, the prevalence of, of seizures and how it's contributing to the disease. Yeah. I particularly liked it because I use um, an animal model of Alzheimer's disease um, that involves expressing um, a lot of amyloid um, and then that creates memory deficits in the mouse models. And they've always been criticised because you don't see tau tangles, mm. um, which is one of the other key features of um, um, Alzheimer's disease. But he showed that um, if you knock down tau in these animals, you actually prevent the disease progression, showing that these mice were getting tau pathology. They may not be getting tau tangles, and that tau pathology was contributing to the disease. Um, and uh, these mice do have seizures. Um, uh, I've seen them, and it is always at night time. Um, so it was interesting to actually back up uh, what he was saying with my own observations. Yeah, I wish he'd said more about why it's at night time that they have the seizures. Because mm. I think that, you know, that's quite interesting for people who are affected by the condition to understand that. Um, now, yeah. I actually wonder if it links into a bit of uh, Rees research because uh, Alzheimer's disease, we know, is, one of the symptoms is, is described as evening wandering. So just before they go to bed, they tend to start walking lots and sometimes walk out. And I wonder if this is a manifestation of hyperexcitability, like yeah. overactive neurons. Yeah, that could be quite interesting. Um, it's something that we are hopeful to look at with in um, the research that we're doing as well at the moment. Um, with the wearables, we can we can kind of break down things by time of day and see if that's a specific pattern that is occurring within um, different kind of dementia subtypes. And then, I guess, you could use that and also map it onto um, other studies that will have huge multidisciplinary studies that would kind of help give more information about that. So I, I don't know if that presentation's going to be online, I'd, I'd suggest having a look on social media or uh, subscribing to the hashtag AIC18 to see if there's a, a link to where the presentation might be on that. But, but I agree, it, it was really interesting. So moving on from that, there have been so many oral sessions today. So I'm just going to open up the open up the discussion now just to, I'll just go around the table uh, and ask you what you've seen today and what you found particularly interesting. So why don't we start with um, why don't we start with uh, Ree? Why don't you go first? Um, sure. So I saw this morning um, I saw a really really interesting presentation by Aaron Buckman in the epidemiology section, um, and he's from Rush University and he was talking about um, wearables, obviously right up my alley, and he was just describing. Um, they can do quite a lot of things, but you wanted to know about what a person can do and what a person actually does. So he seems to have run, um, Rush University seems to have run two very large projects that they've got this information from, um, and they also seem very keen to collaborate with other people to, to share this research with people. And they've used actigraphy, um, which is a form of wearable sensors, to measure both the total activity of people, um, so how much daily physical activity they do, and how this relates to um, kind of outcomes such as um, neuro, neuro loss and microinfarcts in the brain. Um, and they've also looked at GATE, which he's doing with Jeffrey Heisdorf at the moment, who's quite a big name in the wearable field. So I thought his information was really interesting. He was showing that um, GATE and decreased activity can predict um, adverse health outcomes, such as mild cognitive impairment and Alzheimer's disease which is um, showing, again, that cognition and mobility are overlapped, and actually it's important to, to look at both. He was also talking about future research that they seem to be trying to develop, which seemed really um, cool, where they're trying to develop a smart pen for doing the clock test, which um, 
if you if you do a lot of cognitive testing one of the problems with cognitive testing is that it's very hard to pull apart the different elements of cognitive testing and one of the problems with doing something like that particularly if you're moving with someone with a motor problem like Parkinson's disease is that it's hard to tease apart where the cognition is failing or where actually they just can't do the, the task anymore because the motor symptoms so seeing things like that coming out is, it seems to be um, really really cool actually and that's really good because honestly one of my next questions was have you how did the talks today kind of have any any relevance to your own work? But that that's fantastic. Yeah, it that was exactly... it was literally spot on exactly what I needed to <laughs> need to uh, hear about. There's so much going on here, isn't it? I think if you want, I mean, if you wanted to go off and look at something that's completely new, you could, or you could you could entirely just stick every day to your own field, to your own interests, and just follow that around. There are four. If anybody's never been, there are four huge books that come with this. Five yeah. books, one for every day that just goes goes through. Is, is there anything else particularly that you'd draw attention to? or um, Just that there seems to be quite a few talks as well going on that they were very much promoting the idea of um, making sure that researchers work together and also having databases online that people can access so that research and the data that we collect gets as far as it possibly can get. And I think that that's been quite good to see that highlighted and quite important as well. Um, one of the speakers today, James McNally from uh, Michigan, he kind of highlighted the point that when we do such studies, we only get a very narrow picture. And he said that we basically look at um, we need to see the entire elephant rather than just looking at the trunk or the leg of the elephant, which is what most studies currently do. Um, and by combining research between many different projects, we're actually getting further and further into trying to find out how to prevent and understand dementia. And I think that's quite an important um, idea to highlight. I know that the UK themselves are currently trying to set up their own databases to promote that kind of open access. And we, we did a podcast I don't know, it's probably a couple of months ago now, James Datchler from Durham, I think. Have you, yeah. you ever known James? So I know he's been a kind of big advocate for this This collaborations in different diseases. Are they working with the heart? Are they working with the heart? Found, they've got work going on with research in heart yeah. disease as well. Yeah, they and then really collaborate fantastically, that group, because the work that they're funded by the Alzheimer's Society is about social withdrawal, but you know that's kind of one area of expertise but they're brilliant at kind of networking and working with different groups like the the cardiac study so we need more of that in the UK I think so that's that's fantastic um what about what about you Aoife what 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 jumped out at you today well so I was running around trying to be in four places at once most of the day so um trying to catch as much as possible and in the morning I was catching up with some of the recent uh, clinical trials on some of the drugs that have been coming out um, so unfortunately spoiler alert there wasn't any massive breakthroughs from this morning um, they were the type of pharmaceutical presentations that I find quite odd but anyway basically because the first one I went to see was a drug um, beautifully named Crianzumab um, and it was part of the Creed study. So this is a drug that's come from Roche and Genentech. And it's a drug that targets uh, one of the toxic proteins in Alzheimer's disease called amyloid. And it's an immunotherapy. And it's at the stage, the presentation that they were giving was basically what's called a baseline presentation for a phase three trial. So by the time you get to phase three, you've definitely so shown that the drug is safe. Um, 
which is, isn't much news because, you know, this mm. just means it's safe and that's wonderful. Water is also safe, but yeah. it doesn't cure dementia. Well, that's phase one, right? And then phase yeah. two, they phase should have two, a proxy measure. They want to, so in phase two, what mm. they found was that this drug, in their words, trended towards efficacy. So anyone who's familiar with um, st statistical analysis will know that the word trend is used sometimes a little bit too often. And that means that basically the efficacy or how effective this drug was in showing any improvement in dementia wasn't statistically significant, mm. but it was just enough to justify to their funding department, I guess, that mm. they could go ahead with a phase three trial. But fa phase two trials aren't supposed to show efficacy. That's where it's supposed to be a secondary mechanism. They're supposed to investigate some sort of proxy for it that the drug is actually targeting. So if this is an anti-amyloid drug, they would measure the levels of amyloid mm. and show that the drug did lower it. And then they'd also hope maybe they get like a p-value of 0.08 or something on the actual mm. dementia rating scores, like the MMSC score. Um, so that's probably what happened. Then they went into the stage three, and what happened next? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just find they tend to overhype an effect, and I think they tend to sell it as this is genuinely effective. And it's just, I think, because they have to pass these six monthly points to keep on mm. getting money going into it, and I can understand why that's challenging. Um, Another similar drug that was basically a baseline presentation for how they were going to set up their phase two trial was a drug that's targeted to the other toxic protein in Alzheimer's disease. And this one's called ABV8E12. And so this is the stage where they're just describing what they're going to do and how they're going to set up the study. So this study is going to be in 66 different sites around the world. Um, but they're only going to have 400 participants, which I found a bit strange for those numbers. Um, and they were just describing how they're going to test it and what they're hoping to find. Um, and I think the reason, as a former biomedical researcher, I find it quite strange when pharmaceutical companies get 15 minutes to say what they plan to do, whereas you know, a biomedical researcher can't really go and say, I plan to do this, and it's going to be wonderful. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, it's really interesting. And there's some, there is more clinical trial uh, presentations over the next couple of days, um, uh, particularly some exciting ones on Wednesday. So I think we should see some interesting late-breaking results coming out of um, AIC this year. Um, some other interesting research that I went to see in the afternoon sessions was to do with the effect of head injuries. Um, so this was uh, Lee Goldstein's presentation, and he was talking about some work that he's been doing looking at both American footballers and veterans who've experienced um, head trauma from blasts um, while on active duty. And it was quite interesting because he said that in his co cohort of um, American footballers, up to 20% of them that had the symptoms of chronic traumatic encephalopathy had never had any record of having any form of concussion. And he was really trying to s stress that the, the damage that you get to your brain from concussions is different from chronic traumatic encephalopathy when you have repeated blows to the head. And it's that and not necessarily a concussion. So it's something that we kind of need to look out for maybe a bit more in, in sport. But um, I, d I do wonder, because they want to stay on the field, how much reporting is there of, con yeah. of concussions? Yeah. 
yeah, you try and hide it so you can stay on the field and keep playing. Yeah, but even in, you know, he was using animal models to mm. show this, and these were, you know, the, the mouse was kind of, had the trauma to the head, wasn't concussed, and they showed the changes in behavior, and mm. it went from this mouse exploring a field and being really active to literally just lying in the middle of the space. And then three hours later, he was up and he was fine and he was exploring, but there was still... And that wasn't described as a concussion. No, because he was still lucid and he was still responding to stimuli mm. and he's still aware of the environment. Not sure. Fantastic. Um, thanks, Eva. Um, we're running out of time a little bit, so, yeah. so no, no, no pressure, Jack. Okay. You've got all the time <laughs> in the world. So, no, but tell us, what, what have you seen today, Jack? Um, so I was just saying that um, AAIC is the biggest conference on Alzheimer's disease, and it, as, you, as you get bigger, you get uh, a distribution of results. So there was some at the great end of the scale, and there was also a couple at the lower end of the scale. We found out that um, a hops extract um, cures Alzheimer's disease in, in mouse models. And a that hop, was a hops, that's beer, right? That's beer, that's beer, so drink your Bud Lights. Um, and, uh, but that was funded by a hops company, so you might want to... Uh, hold back on sculling beers to cure uh, Alzheimer's disease. But at the good end of the scale, um, I had uh, Laurie Chibnick, if that's how to pronounce her name, she's a Harvard uh, um, professor, and she uh, was presenting on the decline in Alzheimer's disease incidence. Now that might sound a bit weird, we're constantly telling um, everyone that Alzheimer's disease is, is going up and it's increasing and that is 100% true, but this was about per age group. So we're living longer, and therefore more people are getting Alzheimer's disease. But the question is, is if we were to look at the age bracket, say 85 to 90, which approximately 40, 35 to 40% of people have Alzheimer's disease, is that percentage, the 30 to 40%, is that declining? Um, um, is that declining now? Is that lowering down so maybe only 30%, 25% of people over the age of 85 have Alzheimer's disease? Um, and she found, she did a, a multi-cohort consortium. Um, she combined uh, loads of studies from several different countries. And she found it was about per decade as we, go, as we go along. So in the 90s, 2000s, 2010s, we're seeing a 17% decrease in Alzheimer's disease incidence. So basically, the, uh, the rate of Alzheimer's disease is curving off, which is really surprising. Um, when I asked her about uh, what could possibly be the mechanisms of it, she said it might be that we're actually managing our cardiovascular risk factors better. So um, we're taking statins, we're taking beta blockers, so we're keeping our blood pressure and our blood, blood cholesterol down, even though we're more obese than we have ever been. Um, and uh, that has been linked to, uh, having high cholesterol and high blood pressure has been li linked to Alzheimer's disease. I'm sure I've heard that before. Was it, was it either, because two people that jumped to mind that work in the same area is obviously Martin Prince and Carol Brain. Mm. Well, I'm sure I saw a presentation last year maybe of the same. I remember... I remember really well seeing the diagram because it was a bathtub showing mm. that the taps, oh, yeah. the taps were coming in, but the the water wasn't coming in as fast <laughs> as the water was going out. Oh, I think that's. Can you tell I'm scientific? I think that's coming from the CFAS study because Connor Richardson's presented on that. Have you as well seen the same Newcastle. one? Uh, and that was showing that peop because people are getting diagnosed earlier, they're living longer, which is another reason why the overall prevalence stays high. But incidence rates, I've, I've definitely heard that before. But can I just ask, is that um, she's speaking about Alzheimer's disease specifically, or is she talking about dementia as a more whole group? So interestingly, in, in the whole epidemiology session, everyone was grouping dementias um, mm. because they weren't separating them. And one of the reasons that they said that the, why they were doing that is it's very hard 
um, in a living patient is distinguished between Alzheimer's disease, vascular dementia, and the other kinds of dementia. So they actually, most of the stuff was being grouped. Yeah, it is quite hard to, it is very difficult to distinguish between them, but we have gotten a lot better at distinguishing between them over mm. the years, um, particularly with Lewy body disease as we increase criteria and we use biomarkers in Alzheimer's disease and Lewy body disease. Mm. And just kind of what I was wondering there was, is the instance of Alzheimer's disease dropping off because actually we're getting better at diagnosing cases that are not Alzheimer's mm. disease, but are yeah. actually a different Rare. dementia. Yeah. Because at the moment, Alzheimer's disease is the most common type of dementia. Mm. But when you look at post-mortem, the rates that we clinically describe as Alzheimer's mm. disease are not the same rates that we clinically describe post-mortem mm. or that we post-mortem describe. So, so there's probably good that she grouped them because yeah. otherwise it might have just been a shift from Alzheimer's diagnosis to vascular yeah. dementia, which is happening very much so. Because um, they've all got, a, a lot of them have microinfarcts and we're starting to find that what we thought was Alzheimer's disease was more likely... Uh, the, yeah, there was something dementia. else last year that showed something like 20% of diagnoses changed if they applied additional mm. uh, testing post-diagnosis. Mm. That was something from last year, again. Yeah. What, what, was there anything else that particularly drew your attention? Um, just some like little surprising things. Um, like I saw several studies, including um, Professor Rob Stewart um, from King's in uh, the United Kingdom, talking about um, the number of errors in uh, epidemiological data and how you have to keep up, uh, keep an eye out for it. And it was actually really, really surprising. Some as high as 20% increased scoring for um, ASDAS and MMSC and how you need to control for that uh, going in. He also um, found that uh, he went into the UK public data set, the NHS data set, and he's trying to translate it into something that we can use. Um, and he found that only 10% of MMSC scores, um, the scores that we use sometimes used to diagnose Alzheimer's disease or as a measure of Alzheimer's disease, only 10% were in the correct data column. And uh, he had to use um, um, uh, sophisticated algorithms to extract where the MMSC score was actually placed. And often it was in the comments section rather than the MMSC score section um, or in the Alzheimer's diagnosis section as a little sub-note they had the MMSC score. So he had to use a complicated set of algorithms to actually extract that to find the rest of the 90%. And he said if you'd had an initial look, you might have only thought we had a small data set, but we actually have a really large data set. You just need to know how to look for it. <laughs> That's, yeah, fascinating. Um, okay, so um, we're running out of time now. So just before we, before we wrap up today, can I just ask, come back to, come back to you, Aoife. Um, obviously, is there anything particularly today that we feel is going to be of interest to, to people with dementia? Anything that we can translate and put back to the community? Um, I think there's been, you know, some interesting things. Uh, people always get in touch with us wanting to hear about the latest um, drug trials um, so we always try and stay up to date with those um, I think people will, would have found Leonard Mucky's work very interesting about epilepsy and the relationship between A beta and tau and even just walking around the exhibition centre um, like Jack said there was some great research being presented, <laughs> uh, some fantastic posters um, and some Terrible stuff. <laughs> Go on, tell them. Tell them what you found. Oh, I found a nutritional supplement that even said on the bottle that it's not proved or, you know, approved to be used. But apparently, it clears out forty percent of, of plaques in the brains of forty percent of people who take mm -hmm. it, with no evidence whatsoever. Um, we we should add that that's like 
99% of everything on here is fantastic, mm. ethically yeah, approved no, research. I We've got world leaders from across, mm. from across this, the research in Alzheimer's disease. Who are the, it, the thing is, it's the sore thumb that sticks out mm. in that field of fantastic research. And, you know, that's why pe people would stop and look at it, because the rest of the things you're looking at are in the exhibition hall in particular are fantastic new methods of research, state-of-the-art things and new ways for researchers to tackle dementia in new ways, but also fantastic methods of care and, you know, assisted living um, or... Uh, also, I got to meet Power the Seal, so I was very excited about that. Um, was that the little seal robot? Yeah. I stared at them for ages, they were so cool. Go up and, and cuddle them, they're fantastic. Are they warm? I wanted to know if they're warm. They're not warm, but they're, they're quite heavy. Yeah. And they do coo and chirp and look at but you. But I, I feel like if it's not warm, it'd be like petting a dead cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so mean. You've ruined my experience now. <laughs> But but I take your point, and I think it's sadly those kind of those kind of products and those newspapers that we that those um, studies that we find in the media that attract mm. the attention, aren't they? Because yeah, they're because quite it, good it's at marketing. such good news, and it's such a fantastic statistic to see that it takes advantage of people who are desperate and mm. want good news. And I find that the most distressing of all. I find it, it's very cynical to I treat people. I completely like that. agree. Well, thank you very much, everybody. I'm not going to keep you anymore because it's now half past five and I'm conscious that everybody wants to get ready and go off to the reception on Navy Pier. Is there any final, final thoughts for the day? Anything you're particularly looking forward to tomorrow that we should be paying attention to? Have you not looked at the programme that far ahead yet? I have to say, oh, I, I look in the morning for what I'm going to so look at. So many spreadsheets, I can't remember. It's <laughs> just, just my as, phone. A, as a pitch, I'm looking forward to presenting my poster tomorrow, oh, 226. Of course. Well, this podcast, all being well, should be released uh, about 9 o'clock in the morning, Chicago time. So in about, you know, 14 hours time. So right. if people are listening to this here at the AIC, um, you can tweet using the hashtag AIC18. Um, what about you, Jack? I saw you looking at your schedule. Have you oh, picked oh, something out? I was trying to use the app. Um, it, it, is a, it is a good app. And the app's really good, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah. like the app. It's useful. Um, Rather than having to carry the books around. And so oh. tomorrow I should be able to just click this button and hopefully I've saved a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, there's quite a bit of research about inflammation coming out tomorrow. There's a whole session on it. And so I'm very excited about that. That's right in my wheelhouse. So um, it's always very exciting to do that kind of research. Fantastic. Okay, thanks, listeners. Please don't forget to visit our website to check out the profiles on all of our panellists. So you can also find uh, links in there to all their Twitter feeds. Um, you can also post uh, questions and comments on our panellists and, and in the section there uh, and interact directly with them. So don't forget to follow them on Twitter. Um, so that's it for today. I'd just like to thank uh, all of our panellists, uh, Aoife, uh, Ree, and Jack, you got uh, for <laughs> thank you very much for, for joining us today. Again, please do push your comments on the forum on our Dementia Research website, and that's dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk. Uh, you can also drop us a line on Twitter at dem underscore researcher or use hashtag ECR Dementia. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back tomorrow with uh, AIC Day 2 uh, and a new panel. Thank you very much a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.